Welcome to Sound Practice, the business podcast for physicians and practice leaders, hosted by Cheryl Toth and Mike Sakopoulos, and produced by Green Branch Publishing. Hi, Tothy. How's it going out there in Arizona today? Well, Mike, believe it or not, we've got snow here in Tucson. You heard me. I mean, it is actually snowing outside my window right now. Come on, snow in the desert? Really? <laughs> yeah, that's right. My friends and I are all texting photos and videos to each other. Uh, one of my friends who's lived here over 20 years said it's the most snow he's ever seen since he's lived in Tucson. We are, I mean, seriously, we are all fired up about this. Okay, so at this point in the year, um, those of us here in the Midwest do not greet snow with the same kind of enthusiasm <laughs> as, as you all in, in, uh, in Tucson do. I think we've had more than our fair share of uh, snow and ice this, uh, this winter uh, season. But hey, look, I can understand how that would, uh, would get people uh, uh, fired up. Yeah, it's unusual. Yeah, it, exactly. So you know what else? We've got other reasons to be fired up, Tothy. You know what they are? Well, let's see. It's March. So March Madness? Everyone's fired up ooh, here about that. Ooh. Yeah, very, very good, uh, very good guess. And as a, as a Hoosier, I'm, I'm quite proud of you with that, that guess. But I'm thinking, about, I'm thinking about something else. It's the start of spring migration. Birds oh. are headed north, having uh, <clears throat> taken off from Central and South America. They're, they're winging their way up to, uh, to see us. They have their, I'm hoping to hook up plumage on, so they're looking their right. best. Uh, right on. Yeah. All right. Well, that is a happy thought. Uh, spring is just around the corner. Of course, you in the Midwest think about spring just around the corner as happier than us because it's never really that bad here. We, we, had, we had spring blooms before we even got this snow. In fact, I'm looking at snow weighing down a bush that had all these yellow flowers on it. But of course, it'll be melted by probably three o'clock today, so we don't have to worry too much. Oh, well. But, you know, well, spring, nice. spring is good, and it's always nice to think about it being uh, ushering, ushering us into the longer days and more sunshine. Well, ver very nice. And, and you're, you're nice to indulge me on this whole uh, bird migration thing, because you know what? It has absolutely, positively nothing <laughs> to do with today's uh, podcast. <laughs> Try as I might, I cannot link a buff-breasted uh, sandpiper to durable medical equipment. Well, well never, never fear, because our listeners are multifaceted. They're intelligent folk. They like to hear about things that aren't necessarily in the healthcare world. So you don't have to link everything to the subject of today's episode, but you could try to tie our word of the show to those birds. So what do you have for us today, Mike? Oh, very cheeky of you. Okay, just for that, I'm going to go with a, with a, a German word. Um, <clears throat> okay, here it is. Zungra. And that word is the word for anxious uh, behavior in migratory animals during uh, normal migration. So as time comes to migrate, they get, they get more and more anxious. And that is the uh, term for it. Zug in German, move, and Ungre is restlessness. So there you go. Nice. Well, that word is as obscure as snow in Tucson. <laughs> Where the <laughs> heck did you find it? <laughs> I mean, does this uh, happen in everyday conversation that you say Zongra? <laughs> every day, four or five times a week. Not, not just for cocktail parties. Um, you know, at lunch, anytime I toss that out, 
see, take pity upon my wife. Um, <laughs> so no, I, I have no idea where, where I, where I learned that word. And even if I didn't know, I will never reveal my sources, Tessie. But, well, um, I think that's, that <laughs> that's probably for the best. So we could just move on and get to today's show. I know that you're speaking to uh, Pete Yelkovac of Lifestyle DME Group, and he, uh, talks about reducing risk and profiting more and uh, finding opportunities for practice to find opportunities with DME providers. A absolutely. So, so Pete's a real expert when it comes to medical practices and durable medical equipment. Uh, he's going to give us some, some really great insights. Super. Well, let's jump right in. I'm excited to introduce our audience to Pete Yelkovac. He's president of Lifestyle. It's a DME uh, firm specializing in uh, specific areas of DME, which he will discuss uh, with us. It is based in Indiana and operates in many other states across uh, the country. In addition to being president of uh, Lifestyle, Pete is a practicing attorney and is most familiar with legal issues related to practices and how they may interact legally with uh, DME firms. Uh, Pete, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much, Mike. I appreciate it. I appreciate the opportunity to speak with the group. Well, well great. Um, I have been tossing out the, the term uh, DME. You can give us a quick overview of what falls into that category and what DME stands for. Absolutely. DME is the abbreviation for durable medical equipment, sometimes called home medical equipment, HME. They're really interchangeable terms. The correct term is, is DME. Uh, DME is kind of an umbrella uh, category that consists of items that are used more than once, hence durable equipment, as well as supplies, which may be just used once and discarded. Uh, it also includes, as an umbrella, uh, prosthetics and orthotics. And the term orthotics doesn't just refer to what goes in a shoe, it actually refers to any type of a brace or other item that stabilizes a body part. So DME as a whole is often called durable medical equipment, orthotics, and prosthetics uh, as a category. So it's really, a, it's really a, a pretty broad term and includes a substantial number of items ranging from a simple wrist brace all the way to the most complicated uh, medical devices that could be used more than once. And, and Pete, your, your firm, Lifestyle, uh, is more of a specialty DME firm, is it not? Maybe you could tell us what, what areas of DME you, you specialize in. Absolutely. Uh, Lifestyle DME Group is, I think, among the leaders in this industry of recognizing that uh, in today's healthcare world, it is almost impossible uh, and inadvisable for a durable medical equipment company to be all things to all people. Uh, being a jack of all trades and a master of none doesn't work uh, in the healthcare world nowadays. And that's true not only for DME, but of course practices as well. Uh, we all know that there are particular areas in which we are better at uh, and that we focus on. And so we are consistent with healthcare practitioners and providers in general. Uh, we at Lifestyle DME Group focus on a number of categories. Um, we focus on orthotics, which again includes bracing. We focus on pneumatic compression, which includes what is commonly called a 
lymphedema pump. We do wound care. We do some mobility devices, not all devices, but some. Uh, we do a significant number of uh, apnea products such as CPAPs and BiPAPs. That's a, a tremendous growth area for us. We really developed a large uh, practice within that area and occasional other items here and there, but we don't do every single thing that's out there because within the world of DME, there are literally thousands of products, thousands of things that can be done. And again, you have to decide, you know, what are you good at? Uh, what do you want to know? What do you want to be able to deliver with the optimum level of service? So I think you're seeing many DME companies really specialize uh, in certain areas, which I think is a, is a really terrific trend. That allows them to truly be a master of the particular areas in which they. That, that, makes, that, that makes good sense. But anytime, and you know this as an attorney, anytime we start to talk about DME, we, we move into a highly regulated area of, of healthcare. And for our audience, maybe you can talk about some of the issues surrounding um, working with DME uh, firms if you're a, a medical practice. Absolutely. Um, in the olden days, even as old as 20 years ago, uh, DME was sort of the wild west of the healthcare world. Um, the federal government, Center for Medicare and Medicaid Services, CMS, uh, and insurance companies really didn't understand all of the nuances of DME. And so the particular industry was not as highly regulated as perhaps other parts of the healthcare world. And that unfortunately invited a significant amount of fraud uh, within the industry. That then caused both the federal government, state governments, and insurers to take a look and say, we really are spending a lot of money on these products. We better see what is going on. So there was almost an overreaction uh, to the issue, and they found that there was substantial amounts of, of fraud and other types of, of, of concerns, which then led the government and insurers to crack down on this industry. So it is a significantly regulated part of the healthcare world. Uh, there are many nuances that apply to PME uh, companies that do not apply to other companies in the healthcare world. That's especially true when you are a provider of a federal healthcare service, whether Medicare, Medicaid, or some type of a federal workers' compensation program. And so you are very highly regulated when you agree to opt in to one of those programs, as well as state Medicaid programs. And insurers have also tended to adopt higher regulation as well because they want to assure, assure that their rules uh, and their scrutiny is consistent with the government's. So it has become a very highly regulated part of the healthcare world, and there are issues that apply to it that don't necessarily apply to every other part of healthcare. Many, okay. of, many of the same issues do apply, but they're also nuances. Okay, well that, that, sounds, that sounds like fair warning. Let's, let's get down into the weeds a bit, because I've had some clients, some practices out there that uh, tell me that they rent space uh, to DME companies to store equipment, um, and they receive a, a rental uh, check from the firm. I, I gotta say, this sounds like a dangerous uh, practice. Can you give me your opinion on that? Absolutely. Uh, not surprisingly, the, the government tends to regulate 
um, what can and cannot be provided by a DME company to a, uh, a physician's office, hospital, or other healthcare entity. Uh, this has become a quite complicated area uh, with a substantial amount of guidance being issued by what's called the Office of Inspector General, or OIG for short, with the Center for Medicare and Medicaid Services. The OIG is the entity that tends to issue guidance, written opinions, and also investigates potential uh, complaints and, and potential improprieties regarding DME companies, as well as any other part of healthcare. So one of the, the priority areas that the OIG looks at is what is going on in the DME world and are there companies and providers, practices out there, physicians, nurse practitioners, PAs, other providers, labs, etc., that might be taking advantage of Medicare, Medicaid, and their insurance companies uh, and try to crack down and identify what those areas are. So one of the the focus areas of the Center for Medicare and Medicaid Services and the OIG is the issue of payment for referrals. In other words, the law is very clear that a DME company is not allowed to pay a physician, a nurse practitioner, or a PA for a referral. And that is considered a kickback. And as we know, there is a strong regulation on the, 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 the prohibition of kickbacks in the healthcare field, very big focus area. And we know, of course, in the pharmaceutical world that laws and rules and regulations have really changed in the last few years to tighten that particular part of healthcare up. Many of the same principles apply to DME. So what the OIG has done is they've said, if it looks like a duck, it walks like a duck, and quacks like a duck, it's probably a duck. So we're going to take a close look to see whether what a DME company is doing uh, is a kickback to the practice for referring patients to the DME company. And again, 30 years ago, 20 years ago, it was not an area that was highly scrutinized. But the whole concept is, are you as a DME company kicking back something to the practice in exchange for referrals. And so that, that so that rent could be um, open the door to an investigation. Is that right? Is that, right? that is correct. Right. There, there, there's a, it's, it's a very tricky legal issue. And if a practice wants to charge rent or if a DME company wants to charge rent for a, the ability to store DME at a clinic, at a hospital, at a doctor's office, whatever the case may be, uh, there is a substantial set of rules that with which both the DME company and the practitioner must comply. Uh, and it's one of the areas of concern because even if you comply with the rules, the OIG will still say, ah, you're complying with the rules, but we really want to take a closer look to see whether this is a kickback. So, so it might, it's just not so clever to try to rent out half of the closet in the back of your, uh, your office. But look, I, I understand practice's desire to, um, to, to, make, to make money. They're writing these, uh, these prescriptions and sending them to a DME uh, firm. Right. And you've convinced me that practices have to, be, have to be very careful. What type of relationships are legal when dealing with a DME 
firm from the perspective of a practice? From a perspective of a practice, the, the concept or idea of what's called a stock and bill or a consignment closet, they're terms that are used interchangeable. Basically, it's a concept that is used throughout the United States in both individual offices, in urgent care centers, in hospitals, in other uh, facilities as well. It's very common and, and certainly a very appropriate uh, way to deliver services. It's convenient for the client. It uh, enables a better continuum of care of services. It's certainly with respect to hospitals and the larger clinics can increase patient satisfaction scores. So the concept itself is a, is a good concept. It's kind of working together so that the DME company stores certain items at the particular facility, healthcare facility, and the products are then provided by the facility to the patient on site. And then the DME company bills the insurance company or Medicare or Medicaid for the product that's dispensed. The OIG has made it very clear that this is a concept that works well um, and it really should be for patient convenience, not as a moneymaker for the facility, the healthcare facility. And so that's where the idea of charging rent and trying to you know, have a few dollars here, a few dollars there, you know, can come into play. So anybody who wants to use a stock and bill or consignment closet model, the concept itself is wonderful. It really is a great concept. It's just one of those areas where you want to make sure you consult a very good healthcare attorney and have a clear contract before you enter into any relationship where DME items are stored on site because the OIG for the Center of Medicare and Medicaid Services has actually issued guidance on the types of things that have to be in the contract between the DME company and the medical facility. So you want to just make sure that you're not caught flat-footed and that you've complied with all the rules. And certainly one of those rules is whether or not you can or should charge rent uh, or simply do have a rent-free zone uh, primarily for patient convenience. And that's, that's really the, that's the trend. And I think that's what the government is seeing as a better option because it gets rid of the whole idea of, hey, we're renting the space. Uh, so you're going to make a few bucks and we'll have a lot of work. So that's the concept that the, the government is trying to avoid. So we want to then be careful in the selection of a DM. E or or several DME firms to work with, right? Um, because it's, it's a it sounds to me like there's a bit of a informal partnership here, and everybody wants to make sure that the laws are complied with. How, give us some recommendations on selecting DME firms. Absolutely, um, DME as an industry has become a it's become a an industry that is not as focused on customer service as everyone would like. Uh, it certainly is an industry that is facing tremendous pricing pressure from the payors, whether government or private payers, uh, such as insurance companies, and the reimbursement rates, like any other part of healthcare, are going down, down, and down, and they're not keeping up with the cost of products, the cost to uh, provide the service, to deliver items, whether it's a truck or just the delivery of services office and so it's become a very pressured uh, environment and many DME companies uh, have said 
you know, we've got to stay in business. We've got to make money. We've got to cut somewhere and we want to cut with customer service. I think that is a understandable approach. I think that's an approach that may generate the optimum profits within the allowable profits. Um, but I don't agree that it's the right approach. And certainly when you are working with a patient who is referred to a DME company, if you're a practice, you want that DME company to be on top of their game. You want them to call patients back. You want them to spend time making sure patients know what's going on. What you do not want is a company that dumps and runs. They drop something off, they give something to the patient, they mail it to the patient, and leave the patient to figure out what to do with it. For example, you have an elderly patient you're, who needs a nebulizer, and you're a DMA company, and you mail a nebulizer to the patient with instructions, Well, the elderly patient may not quite understand, how do I use this nebulizer? Maybe they've never used one. You want to ensure that you select the DME company or you refer people to a DME company that has the capacity to serve patients because ultimately that's what it comes down to. It's especially important because the performance of the DME company, the level of service basically is tied into you as a practice because people view DME companies as a extension of your medical practice, your healthcare practice. It's not the same company, totally different, but as far as they're concerned, gee, this is part of my care. Uh, these people are people who I've been sent to uh, and I'm not having a very good experience. And so, you know, as we look at the whole issue within the kind of buzzwords of healthcare, the quote, continuum of care, DME truly is part of the continuum of care. And if it's a strong, good, customer service-focused company, it can be so valuable as a partner to you because it takes some of the, the burden off you with patient calls constantly saying, I don't know what's going on, I don't understand, or patients just giving up on using items and mm. as a result, uh, suffering in terms of their, their care and their prognosis. So it's a great way to work together uh, as part of the continuum of care, but you have to have the right DME company that understands that, that's focused on it, and that isn't in a rush to move but on to the next patient. It, it, it occurs to me, Pete, that service goes not only to, to the patient, but maybe also to the practice. Is it reasonable and legal for a practice to request a DME firm to provide some education uh, to its staff regarding maybe new devices or new uses of existing devices or anything in the education camp? Is that, is that okay? Education is always a, a primary area in our company for Lifestyle DME Group. Uh, we really, really pride ourselves on our ability to take time to educate. Uh, we are a very clinically focused company, so we actually review research, uh, journal research, and practical research, anecdotal uh, research on experiences with uh, healthcare providers who have either used the item, who have studied the item, have researched the item, and so we know our items very well. Many times we know them better than the manufacturers. We're always somewhat surprised at that, but you know we take the time to to learn the nuances as well as the practical effects. So the ability for a DME company to sit down and show the practice 
whether it's practice manager or whether it's the healthcare provider, whether it's the CMA who unfortunately has DME dumped on uh, him or her, uh, whoever it is, it's, it's a very valuable tool for a, a, a healthcare provider, the practitioner, to see what is available, what the trends are, what is new, because so many practitioners, they, they haven't received training on DME. Their concept of DME is oh, wheelchairs, crutches, maybe a walking boot. Uh, that's their concept of DME, a CPAP machine. But there's so much more to it. I mean, there are, there are tens, if not hundreds, of knee braces that are available. All of them have little nuances. Some are great, some are terrible, some are average, some you know, even within each category depend on the patient. Uh, There's so many different things that can serve as part of the educational function that it's a wise idea, whether it's during a lunch or during a, uh, an educational period at the practice, it's a very wise idea for you as a practice uh, to consult with a good DME company and, and see what's available, what's new, what are some things that can help you out as a practice. That's what you want to ask your DME company. And you'll know in talking with the company whether the company has its act together. If they oh, can't that, answer your questions, then that's not the right DME company for you. Yeah, that, that actually does sound like a good way to uh, – smoke them out to know about not only their knowledge, but their uh, willingness to work with your, your practice. So you've, you've spoken nicely about a lot of the different regulations and, and oversight of, of DME, but it seems to me this is a, a bit of a dynamic area. What do you see on the horizon in the next year or two? Anything that uh, people should, should be looking for on changes in the DME industry? And that's a really excellent question, and, and the, the word dynamic is actually a perfect word for the, the industry and its current status. Uh, one of the, the, the veins of the existence of DME companies within the world of Medicare was the implementation several years ago, I believe around 2012, of a concept called competitive bidding, wherein Medicare decided to save money that they would bid out certain DME categories competitively and select certain companies based on their bids. Uh, it ended up being an unmitigated disaster. It saved money, uh, arguably, for the government, but unfortunately significantly affected the delivery of patient care. And the Department of Health and Human Services has pulled back a little bit on the competitive bidding and said, we are going to re-examine this. And so we're going to take a look at it. We're probably going to put it in place again, uh, but we want to see what happens over the next two or three years. So effective January 1st of 2019, uh, the competitive bidding has gone away. Uh, Medicare is watching to see what happens, and then that will be back in place. So the idea of competitive bidding is troubling because, of course, companies want to get the bid. And so generally, they are going to bid at a level that is as thin as possible uh, to try to ensure that they have the business. Remember, you sometimes get what you pay for. And if you're making a what I would call a micro margin on a product, are you really going to be giving out the best product to the patient? Are you really going to be giving out excellent service to the patient? You should really have to. But unfortunately, 
the idea of quality and service isn't encompassed within the competitive bidding idea. So that's currently an issue that we in this industry are watching very carefully. Uh, the other part of the, like the trends going forward are there are certain categories of essential services such as oxygen, which you would think is the number one DME item because people who need it desperately need it. That has been decimated. Uh, that, that particular part of the DME industry, the pricing uh, reimbursement for DME companies has gotten to be so low that most companies have exited the oxygen market and made it very hard for a lot of practices that do oxygen to get the kinds of service they need. So some of the trade groups are really working hard on the, the idea of trying to restore some of the ability of DME companies to at least make some living on oxygen. This is a very struggle, a very tough battle. Um, the other issue that I see with respect to, to DME as well uh, is the expansion of different products and available options. And the concept of when a payor looks at a DME item, they just look at a particular code, right? Called the HCPCS. code, H-C-P-C-S. We don't have uh, codes that are CPT. We have HCPCS codes and each item is coded. And the quality of the item is not taken into account by the code. As far as a payor is concerned, or the federal government, which is a payor, a coded item is a coded item is a coded item. And so I think DME companies as a whole are struggling with, okay, what is the, what is the level of product that we can provide to be able to stay in business? And that's a constant dynamic struggle because pricing pressures for manufacturers exist, and it, it really is affecting, I think, the overall quality of DME. At, at Lifestyle DME Group, we have taken the position that we want only high-quality products. If we would not have our uh, relatives wear them, if we would not wear them, we're not going to give them out to a patient. It's not going to do it. Unfortunately, that's not the trend in the industry, and I can assure you that that's not the majority of the DME companies in the industry. So the idea of how do you keep high quality products accompanied by the high quality customer service is something that DME companies are really grappling with. Uh, and as the, as the market uh, number of DME companies dwindles because of issues of, of staying in business, it gets harder and harder for the companies to try to achieve that, that good balance. So that, that is an issue, Mike, that I think uh, the DME industry is struggling. Well, and it, it sounds like it is also something that practices need to be aware of that's going on so they can properly um, interact with their patients. And um, it, all this seems to be to call out for needing uh, some quality DME firms as, uh, as partners in the, in the loose sense of the word um, for practices. Now, we're, as, as we wrap up here, Pete, I appreciate your, your time and I'd like to give you the last word here on um, any recommendations or thoughts that you might have for practices out there when um, selecting and working with DME firms. Thank you, Mike, for that opportunity. I would strongly encourage any practice that, that refers anything to a DME company, and I would assume that's the vast majority of the practices that will be listening to this podcast. I would strongly encourage anyone 
to ensure that you interview or you talk with or you meet with representatives of BME companies that you are either using or want to use. Because I think education is so important and education not just on products, but on the protocols and the processes used by the companies. Don't overlook regional or smaller BME companies because oftentimes they are able to deliver services that national BME companies simply cannot deliver because of the volume uh, of the, the larger national companies. So many of the national companies do a great job. Many of the smaller BME companies and the regional BME companies do a great job but it's inconsistent throughout the industry. So take time to learn a little bit about each company before you give the patient the name of a company or companies and send them away. Because many times the experience with the DME company is gonna be the last experience they have with respect to that particular medical condition. And it's gonna leave either a good taste in their mouth or a bad taste in their mouth that's then gonna be tied to you as a practice and uh, that's something that you need to be very concerned about obviously because patient satisfaction is so essential now to how practices are assessed in the healthcare world whether online or whether in these hospitals by the government it's an essential part of the delivery of healthcare. excellent advice pete thank you so much for your time we've been speaking to pete yelkovac president of Lifestyle Group DME, and we thank you for your time and for listening. Well, Mike, that was a very interesting interview. I learned a lot of things I didn't know, and boy, the regulations um, about working with the DME firm are pretty extensive. Well, that, there's an understatement. They certainly are. <laughs> When Pete provided us some great information on how to avoid um, those issues that, you know, when your practice engages with the DME firm, the ones that you need to think about and avoid, and his advice on how to choose a DME partner, that's hard to say, how to choose a DME partner, <laughs> I think will really help our listeners. Agreed. Well, Tothi, that's it for this episode of, of Sound Practice. Thanks for listening, everyone. And if you liked our show, please tell your colleagues. We'd truly appreciate it if you'd rate us and review us on Apple Podcasts or Google Play. Bada bing, bada You've been listening to Sound Practice, the business podcast for physicians and practice leaders. Check out the show notes for this episode at soundpracticepodcast.com. If you have any suggestions about future episodes, we'd love to hear them. Email us at info at soundpracticepodcast.com. Subscribe to Sound Practice wherever you listen to podcasts. Sound Practice is presented and produced by the team at Green Branch Publishing. For the best in practice management, journals, books, newsletters, and on-demand programming for physicians and practice executives, visit greenbranch.com. Batman and Robin, Red Kapow.